podcast is brought to you by Amazon. Everything from A to Z. Help support this show by simply using our Amazon portal, theoamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Same Amazon deals and prices, and it sends a percentage to OAM. That's theoamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Theoamnetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Outrage after John Wayne's old interview resurfaces. Why? What did he say? What do you think he said? <laughs> Something terrible, probably racist, probably sexist. Oh, God, I'm going to click it. <laughs> click it. <laughs> Clicking it doesn't mean you said it. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that the MCs came to live out the name and to perform. Some had to snort cocaine to act insane before Pete rocked it on. Now on with the mental plane to spark the brain, with the building to be born, the RZA flipped the track with the what to cut. On today's episode, retinal organoids, taste of science festival, and comedians not going to Mars. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that has never had its name removed from an Orange County airport. (laughs) With me on the show today with a GED from Messick Adult School, comedian Judy Driscoll. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, With a PhD in biomedical sciences from the University of South Florida, Florida. Uh, Dr. Laura Hamill, welcome to the show. And with a PhD in developmental biology from the University of Texas, Austin, Dr. Jackie Norrie, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, uh, guys, thank you for coming and being a part of this. Judy, you're a comedian here in Memphis. Uh, Please tell us uh, what kind of projects are you working on and uh, how have you found your time here as a comedian in Bluff City? Uh, Memphis comedy is uh, it's a great place to start but you know you can't do it here forever that's just the sad truth of it so I'm trying to right now I'm trying to like get in a lot of reps I've started doing an open mic on Sundays called the impromptu poo poo pee pee hour comedy open mic um, and uh, and then I'm trying to kind of branch out a little bit I've got um, I got a, a week long MC gig at the Looney Bin March 20th through the 23rd that's going to be good. That's in Little Rock, Arkansas, That's right? in Little Rock, Arkansas, yeah. And um, and uh, mostly I've been trying to work on scripts and like do like kind of video work and producing. And uh, I'm working on, right now I'm working on uh, what I think is going to be probably the best thing I've written called uh, Mom's Plunkett and the Family Grilled Cheese. I'm not going to say what it's about because uh, it's a proprietary <laughs> thing <laughs> if i even use that word correctly and uh and uh i'm gonna let the the title lie that, that's that's what i've been up to mostly great yeah what? oh oh and i have a show march 30th called positive black role models the car- quarterly show i do at the pnh hosted by richard douglas jones and uh jawa horn Fantastic. comedy staples so that's great Woo. well welcome to the show uh so uh the, our other two guests are scientists of nature. We finally got some more scientists on the show. And uh, so, uh, Laura, first of all, what yeah. kind of uh, work do you do? What kind of research are you doing currently? Currently. So, um, for the last um, about year and a half, I've been working in a lab on hepatoblastoma, which is a childhood liver cancer. Um, and so, it's a it's a really rare cancer. Um, it's really rare childhood cancer. It affects children um, before three years of old. They're normally diagnosed. Um, so 
right now, um, there's not a lot of research behind it, and they haven't had a new drug therapy for it in the last 30 years, just because it's rare and everyone's focused on these more prevalent diseases. So we're able to take patient biopsies and grow them up in a dish and do drug screens in a dish um, and trans show that that um, the cells in the dish are acting similarly to the cells in the body, and so how they respond to the drugs in the dish corresponds to the patient. So we can do this out-of-patient clinical trial to really find a better drug therapy for them so that we can translate it back to the clinic. Amazing. Mm. Amazing stuff. And, and Jackie, mm-hmm. you're also doing some pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff in, in the field of cancer research. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I work on retinal research, so retinal development, retinal degeneration, and then retinoblastoma, which is a rare pediatric um, retinal cancer. Um, and specifically what I work on is kind of more towards retinal degeneration right now and looking at what cells in the retina are responsible for causing immune invasion and how that um, relates to cells actually dying off because when retinal cells die off, you become blind. So trying to figure out how to modulate this response so that we can um, kind of tamp back the immune response so that there's no cell death and no blindness. Again, <laughs> amazing. But that, uh, that's just not just your amazing uh, research is why I brought you here today. So you guys are both uh, heavily involved in, uh, in the Taste of Science Festival, specifically the Memphis uh, chapter of that. So uh, lay it on us. Tell us what the Taste of Science Festival is. All right, so um, Taste of Science Festival started in Tampa, Florida, and has spread um, throughout the United States and mostly major cities, but there's a couple small ones across the board. And it's um, national. Okay, I'm sorry. I get really confused with national and international for no odd reason. <laughs> you got a PhD, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, breaking it down. Uh, so it's a national festival um, that occurs, um, and you can do one-offs throughout the year, but we have, we Memphis primarily focuses on the festival um, that happens simultaneously in every city. And so it's the week of the 21st to the 27th of April, but in Memphis we're having events on Monday the 22nd, Tuesday the 23rd, and then we're um, wrapping it up with uh, our biggest event, which will be on Thursday the 24th. Fifth? 25th, yeah. Math. And uh, that's going to be our comedy of science event. So, yeah, the two two worlds colliding, <laughs> science and comedy, as we try and do here on the show. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm involved in that one as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be hosting the, uh, the event where mm-hmm. basically it's two, two scientists will give their talks and I'll have a panel of comedians that I have selected mm-hmm. from the Memphis scene to uh, give their questions and responses and try and maybe throw them off a little bit. Yeah. And the festival is similar to this podcast where it's not scientists talking to scientists, but it's scientists talking to society and just the general public. Everyone is welcome to come to it. Um, And so it's that whole idea of breaking down those barriers and making science something more approachable for the everyday person. Perfect. Break down those barriers. (laughs) (laughs) I know I made it sound really important. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Let OM help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Heckle podcast. We move on to our news item of the week. Today's article comes from the publication Times Now News. uh, And the title of the article is 
NASA looking for comedians for first manned mission to Mars to help boost morale of astronauts. Oh, man. <laughs> That's the saddest thing, weirdly, that I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. I just imagine like a bunch of comics going up there and just being like, yeah, on Earth, you know, it's terrible. And like talking about their home lives and they want to kill themselves <laughs> like comics do and like trying to cheer them up in that way. <laughs> Things aren't so so good on Earth. You know, Donald Trump is terrible. Ah, everything. And they just get, end up complaining the whole time. The, the, can you imagine the first open mic on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone would go. Everyone. <laughs> the whole population would probably like, be there. Every Maybe. man on Mars would be there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I imagine like it would go and then people would start making excuses like Mars is way too far. I don't, I don't feel like doing it. Like, you know how comics are? I'm not going to the Mars bar. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, staying right. in tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just got out from work. I have time for it. <clears throat> Do you think that that would be a, a useful thing to have a comedian on a, on a NASA space flight? I don't know. I wonder how much training they have to go through. <laughs> you, have, question. you have these That's people who, who study their whole life. Like they dream their whole life of going to Mars and they have they have to train for it. And you train for those isolation incidences for like not having a lot of people around. And I can't imagine a lot of comics just being okay, just alone. Also, do they not know that comics are really mean and terrible (laughs) and would just end up making everyone feel terrible about themselves, (laughs) which is what I think would end up happening. Uh, So... uh, (laughs) So, so this was published by uh, this article was published by a newspaper owned by the Times Group. Now, the Times of India is actually the largest circulating um, newspaper in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, but it was also this article was also published by a couple of English publications, The Express, The Guardian, under similar titles. And uh, it was taking um, it was it was taking from a, I guess studies that have been done in, uh, by this anthropologist at the University of Florida uh, that basically show. Uh, that has, has studied different Mars missions and looking at the personality dynamics and whether and how much of a success uh, the mission the missions were. So uh, this guy spent four years stu- studying overwintering crews in Antarctica and identified the importance of uh, certain um, traits in in these bonding teams. So uh, the ones that that they've listed here are clowns, le- <laughs> leaders, buddies, storytellers, peacemakers, and counselors needed for them to work together smoothly. I mean, that does sound like every movie about people going into outer space. Yeah. You know, you have to have a comedian or no one's going to watch you have the movie. But here's the, the thing release. is that actual, actual comics are never funny like at work, I well, find. Well, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Like, you're funny yeah. on stage, but then off stage. Yeah, like, we would just be, we would, we would be the same. Comics in person are sadder than most people <laughs> and so they would they would be the one that would need all the cheering up that I would think. be so exhausting too because you'd have to be like mm-hmm. on stage and you'd be on constantly uh, nobody would want to do it so, <laughs> so actually you've hit you've hit the you've hit the nail on the head right here because these roles within the, these groups are informal roles that emerge over time right. within that group and uh really actually what's going to be done in Na- in uh nasa training is look at pairing up people with certain personality traits they're not going to be looking for comedians actually they're uh, just going to look for someone who has a uh, a kind of who could fit into that role within a certain working group right um so you know because if you ha- the idea being if you have the right combination mm-hmm. the mission is likely to go well wrong combination it will go badly and mm-hmm. these missions to mars are going to be taking place over a far longer period of time 
than previous yeah. space missions. The idea of this, though, uh, actually dates back a lot further than you would think. So uh, the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen, the first uh, first guy to reach the uh, South Pole in 1910, uh, he picked the large jolly chef Adolf Lindstrom for his attempt, uh, knowing that his joie de vivre uh, would relieve the stress of people's homesickness mm-hmm. and uh, the t- the tough conditions out there. So, uh, and uh, he, Amundsen said, and this is this is from uh, the Guardian article. He has rendered greater and more valuable services to the Norwegian polar expedition than any other man, <laughs> just by just by being a light-hearted. I was imagining a bunch of astronauts like in space uh, calling their parents, like, "Can you come pick me up? I'm not having a very good time. I, I don't. I don't think I want to be here anymore. Like that, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, how how long does it take you to make up material? Could you have something for a full ten year mission? Uh, <laughs> shit. I mean, real you know how long it takes to write an hour of material? It's right? a very long time. So Especially probably like, not. You'd just be riffing every there, single like, day. New material would be really hard. It'd be like hosting an open mic every single day. You know what? You know what's even worse then? Because so your your regular comics are going to get passed up for the job. You know who's going to get it? The improv comedians. Oh <laughs> my god! Yeah, everybody, and all the YouTube uh, YouTube comics that everybody just everybody that all the comics hate, <laughs> all the worst comics. Oh my god! Well, they're going to Mars. But they would so love that's it. Probably good, right? I the improvers would love it. They they would love being in that position because they love the attention, and that's what they do mostly. So they'd probably be better for it than most comics, <laughs> most actual real comics. That's a joke. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, nail hit on the head. At this point for NASA space uh, space missions, uh, comedians need not apply. Jerry Seinfeld need not apply. <laughs> Louis C.K. need not apply for other reasons. But, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, for this, uh, for giving comedians false hope with the titles of these news articles, today we dub uh, the Times Now News... Fake. Woo! (laughs) Fake news. Fake news! Help us keep the lights on. Go to theoamnetwork.com slash donate. Welcome back to our final section where we take a journal article and explain it to our guests. Today's article comes from the journal Scientific Reports from the Department of Biology at Purdue University. The first author is Clarice Fligor. The anchor author is Jason Mayer. And the title of the article is Three-Dimensional Retinal Organoids Facilitate the Investigation of Retinal Ganglion Cell Development, Organization and Neurite Outgrowth from Human Pluripotent Stem Cells. I don't even need you to read it. I already know exactly. I already know exactly what's about. (laughs) Not even close. So as we have uh, scientists on the show today, uh, Jackie has actually selected out today's article and she will be doing the explaining to uh to you judy but don't worry i will also be in that same corner i have not read this article so she'll be trying to explain it to me as well and okay. i'll we'll see how we do jackie are you ready to take this away yes well as i said earlier um i do retinal biology um so we're gonna start with just retinal development to begin the retina is the back part of your eye mm-hmm. so when light enters your eye it goes all the way to the very back where you have photoreceptors. They um, detect the light, and then they pass the signal back kind of towards the front of your eye, 
into a second layer of cells. And that layer of cells transmits the light signal to your brain, where your brain can then interpret what you're seeing. Okay. That's basically how vision works. Okay. (laughs) Simply. So um, the parts about the retina you need to know is that this organization, these two layers are very important. And as in all things with human development, there's not really easy ways to study it. So people have found ways to study retinal development without using um, human beings at all. And they do this by taking stem cells and growing them into retina in a dish. Okay. So by... (laughs) (laughs) I got you, I got you. (laughs) We can do anything in a dish these days. Okay. Yes. So you take just a couple of cells. They will form into a ball. Uh And the cells will differentiate to into retinal cells. So the same kind of photoreceptors that are in the back of your eye will eventually form from these tiny little balls. And the cells that are on the inside, the ones that transmit the signal to your brain, they can form on the inside of these little balls. So you have a bunch of, they're probably like a millimeter big but they have all of the same cells that you do in your retina and they come from human stem cells. So it's actually a human retina in a dish. Jeez. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Can I ask really quick, why haven't they cloned anyone if they can do what you just described? Uh, Why why have they not cloned any individuals? Ethics. Ethics. (laughs) Ethics. Ethics. So you can... They just haven't. Well, because, um, I mean, Dolly the sheep was a sheep that's cloned. I mean, like a person. Right. So there's really, as far as cloning is considered, Mm -hmm. there's not much difference between cloning a sheep and cloning a human other than ethics. It's just not right to do. Totally off topic. If you cloned a person, would they have like like an inner mind? Like, would would they know like I'm a clone? Well, like if, if you think about twi- uh, identical twins, right? Okay. They they are not one mind. So fair enough. Uh, if you were cl- to clone yeah. a person, they wouldn't have the same mind. Well, because there's <laughs> okay, places that are clone your dog. But I mean, like, do, yeah. do they have anything in there? Like, if you cloned well, a person, like, so because if you cloned a person, it wouldn't be a clone that's suddenly a person the same age that I am now. Like, it would be you, you would, have to start off as a baby. It would be a baby, and it would grow up. So it would be. A human, it would just have the exact same genetic background that I like, exact same cloned copy. However, it might not be at all the same person. They can clone your dog or your cat, but they put in tons of fine print of this dog might have not have the same temperament or mm-hmm. do the same things as the dog that you love so much. So be careful when you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars cloning your pets because. Mm-hmm. They might not be the exact same thing because there's a lot of environment that yeah. makes you you. Sure, yeah. yeah. Nature versus they nature. They have the potential to look exactly the same, but right. feed them differently, they could look completely different. Fair enough. Yeah. So continue your yeah. article. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these are just tiny little retina in a dish. And what this paper wanted to do specifically was look at those cells that connect the photoreceptors to your brain. So first they figured out that the retinal organoids organize the same way that 
your retina does. So the photoreceptors are in the back and the connecting cells are in the middle. Um, and they use a lot of known markers because we know a lot about normal retinal development. So they make sure that the photoreceptors are expressing things that say, I'm a photoreceptor. And the ganglion cells are expressing what they need to be to be ganglion cells. Which is what? Um, so specifically here, they look at BRN3. It's just a gene. Okay. Um, and <laughs> it allows them to do different things than, say, a photoreceptor, which expresses like rhodopsins, which are able to sense light. Okay. So they're specialized. <laughs> they they do very different things. Okay. Um so the interesting part about the retinal ganglion cells is that they have neurites. So you have retinal ganglion cells and they have these projections that run back through your optic nerve and into your brain. And that's how your retina is connected to your brain. Through the optic nerve? Yes. Okay. And so they wanted to test if these retinal organoids also had the ability to have these projections that reached out. And how they did this was they isolated just those cells and they put them in different, um, different medium. And how hard or soft the media is can actually influence how much of a projection a neuron can um, give you. How? How so? Why? Why does? Why is that? What that means? How hard? Is so that's a lot of the medium. Like you're the, thinking kind of like a jello consistency, right. and yes. so if it's you know if you add more water into it, you have jello. But if you don't put as much water in, it becomes more like a jiggler. Like it's more solid and holds itself better. Sure. Yeah, that's my analogy. I'm going with. Yeah. So if you put these ganglion in the more jello, it's looser. They're going to be able to be like whoa, wah, and reach out really quickly. But, but they still have support because yeah. they need support. So it can't be like a watery substance or they'll just kind of fall to the bottom. Yeah. So you need it the goes, right hardness yeah. for them to but reach out. But if it's out. too hard, then it's like trying to punch a jar of peanut butter or that's bad analogy. <laughs> but like, you know, you can't move through peanut butter as easily as you can through like jello or something like that. So if it's too yeah. thick, yeah. then they'll be held back and restricted. No, I, I think the punching a pop a jar of peanut butter analogy is, is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should use it. The, the peanut butter, not <laughs> the jar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why why is the eye an important thing to study? Um, Specifically. Do you enjoy seeing? <laughs> <laughs> I do, personally. Yeah. There are things I wish I hadn't seen, but yes. <laughs> That's the memory center. You'll have to talk to okay. that scientist. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so they go further and um, they found a medium that actually closely re recapitulates what's found in the nerve fiber going back into our brains. And turns out that was the best one that worked the best. Um, turns out biology usually does it right. <laughs> um, and so then this um, paper has very nice movies of these axons actually creeping out. And while it doesn't seem like a lot, they moved a whole millimeter and a half in 24 hours, which is just crazy for such a tiny little cell. I can imagine why that'd be crazy. And then, um, so when you're developing in utero, when these axons are going around and making a brain, they have to have a signal that tells them where to go. 
It's not just random. Um, but there's chemoattractants, which are just um, chemical signals that attract the nerves. So the nerve knows where to go, so it knows where to attach. Because if your optic nerve doesn't attach in the part of the brain that senses optic signals, it's not going to do anything. I'll tell you what's really quick. What's incredible is that each part of the human body is like its own branch of science. Yes. That's insane. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was so complicated. Or that, you know, I mean, I realized the body was complicated, but the way that you're describing it, I've never heard these words before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is why I love science and being a developmental biologist, figuring out all these tiny things that have to go right to, to just give you vision. Uh-huh. But how all of us have good vision. Did and you ever works. see the movie Annihilation that came out last year? No. It's all about like female biologists. Not once. I've heard of it. I'd imagine you guys would be all about it. I have like not Natalie seen Portman. a movie in a really long time. Annihilation does not sound like a movie about female biologists. Well, it's it's about like this weird, it's a weird story. This is like a shimmer. It's about to be the end of the world, but they have to go in and, and investigate. And the, the idea is that the shimmer is like altering the biology of the world. And if you, if you walk into, okay, listen, you, you listen this to this. This is very familiar hear your, to me. I want to hear your thoughts on this. If you go into the shimmer, uh, it'll change you to the point to where like your skin will move on its own. And what it said was it it, ref- it ref- <laughs> refracts. Listen, it refracts in this weird way uh, the way that we are made up to the point to where trees um, would be. They would grow out of the ground the same way that a person like the way that we stand like this as opposed to a tree being the way what, trees would grow like people because the outside environment was reflecting refracting whatever the inside of this like this one human who's like in the middle of everything that they're like eating and consuming what what do you think <laughs> what is that in any way like What's possible or plausible yeah that's what i hear what you think of it because i saw the way i was like oh my god it's amazing so i will say that it's amazing how often nature and human biology interact like if you ever saw the um, branching of a developing lung, you would think if you if you didn't know any better, you could think that's a tree because it just comes out in branches huh. like you would yeah. see a tree. And usually it's like labeled with a, a green fluorescent protein. So it even is green hmm. <laughs> like a tree. Sure. Um, it's one of my favorite nerdy developmental <laughs> biology videos that I've ever seen. Um, hmm. But as far as shimmers, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the Mars people <laughs> with that because I, I don't I don't think so. You don't think that's at all possible? A, a shimmer that changes your refractive index to grow like a... No, I'm sorry. Like, like Maybe if I watched the, the movie, Natalie Portman could have... Well, see, I, I had such a, I had a bad grasp of biology. It all just made perfect sense to me. I was like, oh my God, this movie is so... But to you, it probably, this movie is horseshit. This movie is bullshit. Yeah, if I watched it with my husband, I would probably ruin it for him. It's like, <laughs> well, okay, so what I know is... <laughs> You'd be a fun person to watch that movie. Both of y'all just to like, watch that movie with and dissect well, everything. You know, Natalie Portman uh, has... She has she, a... She has a oh, psychology yeah. degree from, from Harvard. Harvard, yeah. yeah. She's like fluent in like three languages too, I'm pretty sure. Pretty much a genius. So. Yeah, like yes. a literal genius. So, I mean, if she took the role, it must 
Must be well, she took the role for the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we know be, anything be, about science. Because she's a genius. Yeah, she, right. she took the money. Because <laughs> scientists don't do things for money. Yeah. That's for yeah, sure. Right. No, science, scientists <laughs> or academic scientists <laughs> somehow managed to avoid money at all stages yes. of their career. Yeah. Which is shocking because I would imagine that that's why you do it is because you want to make a ton of money. Like the scientists, people that work for NASA make a lot of money no like doctors make a lot of money doctors, I guess not all doctors. doctors make medical yeah. doctors if we wanted to make a lot of money we would not have chosen this field i think you can yeah. you can do science you just go to a company or something if yeah. you if you want to make more money ah but you guys it's definitely the hard way to get to the lots of money <laughs> it's a lot of school it's a lot of, if you, it's a lot but for it, not a lot of money if you really no. wanted to make money you could just go work on wall street yeah, yeah. Oh, okay fair yeah. enough so you guys just do it because you like it yeah, yeah. weird. Yeah. Like Just because you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! And, uh, and uh, <laughs> Judy, uh, so you're you're trying to be a comedian. Do you do that because you think you're going to make a lot of money? <laughs> I mean, eventually, yes. Do I now? Not at all. Not even close. But I would like to eventually. Do you guys eventually want to like win Nobel prizes? Well, uh, we we also are realistic. Uh, at least <laughs> okay. uh, I am. I am never going to win Nobel prize. But, Fair enough. But these two ladies. It might be in their aspirations. I mean, if I could just say I would really like one and someone would consider me, yeah. but yes, knowing yeah. that's not realistic. Yeah, it's pretty pretty far from. Yeah. Anyway, uh, oh, we're real we're vision. real close Let's to the end. Yeah. Let's oh get back, yeah. Get right. Back to the. Um, okay, so last we left, <laughs> the axons were reaching out and they were trying to find chemical attractants to go towards. And when they do this, um, they create a growth cone on the end, which is basically like you have one axon that's moving out and then a bunch of things that are feeling. It's kind of like a flashlight. So it's trying to figure out which way to go, um, but towards a chemical signal, not like light. Okay. Um, And these organoids produce retinal ganglion cells that even have this growth cone at the end of the axon to try to figure to help it figure out where it needs to go. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the moral of this story is that these retinal organoids can pretty accurately recapitulate retinal development in a human. And now um, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to use these cells because you can have an almost unlimited supply of these cells to maybe replace um, damaged cells in a human. It's a far way away from that, but these are human photoreceptors that, you know, we don't have to transplant them from a, a donor or anything. Right. They could be your own cells that have made more photoreceptors or more retinal ganglion cells that could possibly one day be incorporated into your own eye. Are you trying to, like, cure blindness? Is that yes. basically? Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's a cool uh, cause. <clears throat> so It's yeah. kind of terrible, though, because then people like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles, they wouldn't have a career because nobody would care about them because they weren't blind. <laughs> That's the first thing I think of. Also, the whole time you were talking, I remember one time when I was a kid, I saw a movie and uh, uh, someone took a, a sewing needle and put it into someone's pupil yeah and that's what i when you said like, we're gonna talk about the human eye and like dissecting the, that's what i thought you were gonna describe basically it's a horrific just like peeling of the skin 
Well, you don't Needle have any eye. nerves at the um, top of your eye, so it wouldn't hurt. That's why LASIK is pretty an easy thing to do. It, there's it wouldn't you wouldn't feel it. You could probably like if you pushed in your eye. <laughs> if you pushed in your eye, it's pressure and it pressures on the back of your eye and all of that. But like contacts in it, you're not feeling anything. So I never put contacts in, so okay. I never, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how do you explain when someone's contacts do hurt them? Well, that's probably irritating the um the lids oh, or yeah, other parts go. of your eye. Yeah, that's smart. But the front part <laughs> of your eye feels nothing. It it shouldn't, and not a lot. Not a not, lot. Not as much as other things. Why is that? Why why is just that? not a lot of nerve receptors? It's hmm. more worried about light than it is things yeah. coming in. Yeah. Okay. It's a different type of cell too. It's not like the cells on your your skin. Can I ask then why, as far as evolution, why did we develop eyelids then? The way that we have, if the eye itself is not super sensitive. You don't, oh, you don't you want s- it to dry out. Is one, right. So you don't want it to dry out. And you still want to protect it. Like if something's coming at your eye, like I guess it can liquid or something or, like that. Or like, something too bright. Mm-hmm. You need to yes. be able to. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, so, Judy, do you think you <laughs> took in enough of that that you could give a at least a rudimentary explanation of uh, what you just said of the the study today (laughs) okay i'm gonna try my best genuinely and i want you to to correct me as i as i go okay some comedians don't try their best some comedians just i'm gonna try because i was looking forward to learning something i was looking forward to learning so don't try okay so some people wanted to cure blindness okay and so they they said uh we're gonna take some cultures no yeah cultures cultures. (laughs) okay and uh they put them in a little thing um, and the, they were trying to study the, uh, the retina, the retina and how it, um, uh, how it, uh, interacts with the optic nerve and how lights, light, light gets into the eye. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um and so they they took they stem cells. Yep. And they put them into a thing, uh, not too hard, not too soft, and uh, and these things they saw on their own were reaching out exons. You said they were called exons. Yeah. Exons. They were reaching out, and this is the part they didn't quite understand. They were reaching out, but I imagine that when it go- when light goes through the the retina into the optic nerve. That it's trying to get to your brain. Yes. So in the, the the stem cells in this little thing, what what is it trying to get to? So it just goes to the chemicals that they put in the dish, the same chemicals that would be in the brain that would tell it to go to the brain. Okay, that would tell it to go to the brain. Yeah. Okay. And um, and when they did it, they saw that the exons moved yeah. on their own. Yes. So they basically got light to go through this like pretend retina. Um, there was no light. They're just like, this would be the signal that transmitted the light, but there's no light at this point. They're just seeing if that connection could ever be made. So was it like a synthetic signal? They just like, they like put like a, like electricity in there. They could, if they wanted to. Absolutely. But without the axon, no signal could be passed. So they were just focused on that reaching out. Okay. And it did. Yes. And so now they know that they can recreate basically the the process of light getting into the human eye and getting into the brain synthetically through these stem cells. Yeah. 
And now they can, uh, they're a step closer to curing blindness and maybe other. That was good. Eye diseases. That, that was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crushed it. it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. I was worried. That's, that's great. Why not, uh, uh, we don't rank our comedians' performances, <laughs> but if they do, it's up, it's up there. Yay. We used the word gangly and I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be hard, but I tried my best. <laughs> you remember the word gangly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah. I remember any word that I don't know. That's great. So, so let let us uh, let us deplane or uh, re-enter into the normal sphere of the world. Uh, I ask each of my guests to bring a fact with them. Uh, so, Judy, uh, first of all, I'm going to give you the chance to throw a fact back at us. Uh, okay. So this is not in any way about science, but uh, perfect. Okay. I have a. Um, I'm part of a. I'm subscribed to an email newsletter called Now I Know, and uh, it's kind of like Encyclopedia Dramatica, but the story's more interesting. And this is what happened. So there's a museum in Germany called the News Museum okay. in Nuremberg, and uh, in it, there's, it's, a, it's part interactive museum, part non-interactive museum, and uh, there's one piece that's a, it's a crossword pu- puzzle from like the 1940s, half done by this artist named Arthur Kopka, right? And uh, it's up in this, it's called Insert Words is the name of it. And it's a part of this half interactive, half not museum. And so one day in about in 2012, or maybe it was 2016, this group of senior citizens went to the museum and this old lady uh, thought that the crossword puzzle was interactive. And she took it out, it's called Insert Words as well, which she took his direction. She takes it out of the, out of the display and she finishes it with a ballpoint pen, pen and puts it back. Well, clearly it was not part of the interactive part of the museum. And uh, she got arrested. And the, the, <laughs> the museum itself didn't press charges. But the police, the police were like, we need to talk to this bitch's lawyer. This is, and this is, why, this is why I wanted to talk about it. Because her lawyer, her lawyer then argued that because she, because she had vandalized it, she shouldn't be arrested because she'd increased the value of the of the painting of the piece by bringing it to national attention and that her vandalizing it was actually a collaboration and that if Arthur Kafka were alive he would say that she made it better and that the museum itself owed her compensation <laughs> for making it better yeah for making it better and getting all this attention and the reason I like that was because I imagine like him briefing her on that argument and her being like, hell fucking yeah, you're right, I did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my fact. That's great. I'd not heard that before. That's amazing. That is a real thing. Uh, and, and I guess like with the, with the Banksy, so Banksy was basically kind of copying that in, in, in destroying his own painting to increase its value at that uh, auction, you know, where he had one of his paintings auctioned off and then at the moment it was bought the painting went through a shredder. Shredder. I don't know yeah. yeah. But don't you think that if he wanted it finished, he would have finished it? The crossword. Maybe. I mean, it was definitely part of the... The thing was that it was called Insert Words. He should have just like, made like a better title for it because she saw it and she was or like, okay, I'll do it. He was waiting for someone to be confused and insert the words. And now it's inserted words. Yeah. Boom. He, he was playing a long game because he, he's dead now. But he, he knew that eventually some old bitch is going to come into this museum <laughs> and finish this thing and up the value. 
So uh, mm. that, that was a great fact. Uh, Laura, do you have a fact for me today? I have a fact. So a uh, little known fact about me is I grew up in the Northeast in Maine. And so there's a lot of maple syrup up there. And so I was going to say one fact, but I wanted to check my facts before I said it. And then I found this fun story. So actually in 2011, um, McDonald's went into a legal battle with the state of Vermont over false syrup. Because in the state of Vermont, there's actually a local law that dictates that it's illegal to use the word maple on a product unless sweetener is 100% pure maple. And McDonald's had something that was fruit and maple oatmeal, which was not pure, pure maple syrup. Mm. And so there was a big legal battle. And for most of the country, they're probably like, eh, okay. But for me and my nerdy like <laughs> New England background, I just find it hilarious the degree that we will go to to protect our maple syrup. Get on my face with this fake syrup mess. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I mean, you don't go to McDonald's to get anything real. No. Hey, in Maine, you can actually get a lobster roll at McDonald's and it's real Maine lobster in but, it. But really? should you? <laughs> yeah, right. I never have. If they lie about can. their maple syrup, what are they doing I know, to you their lobster? You can't lie about lobster. You. <laughs> that's great and uh and jackie final, okay. final facts um apparently i'm just going with the retina today because i brought a retinal fact i thought it was supposed to go all, paper. all are allowed all facts are welcome here so in humans there's three um you can sense three types of colors um you sense red green and blue and then combinations of that to everything you can see there's a shrimp that can actually detect 13 different types of color, but scientists cannot figure out why they need that many different types of color. You, you can imagine they would just be able to see the most brilliant colors of everything, but it's a shrimp. So, Do you have any theories? No. No. <laughs> it's a shrimp. Yeah, right. <laughs> no theories. Does it ever like, blow your mind to think that other things can see things differently? Yes. Like when I was a kid, I used to really stumble over like what I see is green and orange and purple. And maybe when you look at this, what you see is the color that I see as orange. And I get really upset about this for like hours, like thinking about this. And like, yeah, what's up with colorblind people, too? (laughs) Like, how do you not? You tell me about that. How, How can a person like not see color? You don't have a specific type of photoreceptor. So you what? Which one? Um. Well, I mean, if you're red, green. Oh, then. <laughs> okay, it is depends. Yeah. I thought it was just one. But yeah, it's it's way more common in males. So Yeah, the one one person I knew was a guy. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it like way more common than we realize too? Well, I think it's meant to be one in thirty males yeah. um have some form. Mm-hmm. Well that's red kinda green like is your the most thing, common. Is that if if you're looking at stuff and it's how you've already if you're yeah. looking at something and here's a picture of red and it says the word red under it. That's what you always think is red. But you don't know if someone else can actually see what the color yeah. red is. Until you do all those yeah, colorblind like tests. Color like hmm. Yeah. And you can and you can like really like freak your friends out if you <laughs> pre coordinate to pretend to see a number <laughs> in one of the colorblind tests. Yeah. You can lie about it. <laughs> oh no. Uh so Thank you, thank you guys for coming on the show. That is uh, that is the end of proceedings. But I do, of course, allow my guests from the kindness of my heart to plug anything that they've got going on. So, uh, guys, first of all, what, uh, what do you want to plug? We want to plug the Taste of Science Memphis. It's in April. 
Um, we're going to have events on Monday the 22nd, Tuesday the 23rd, and then Mark will be joining us on Thursday the 25th for the Taste of Science comedy. Perfect. And, and you can follow that on Facebook, right? We have Facebook. We also have a website, so tasteofscience.org, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, we also have a Facebook, Instagram, all the things. Um, I think it's Taste of Sci, M-E-M. You can find most of it. Excellent. And uh, Judy, what do you want to plug for us today? Uh, March 30th, Positive Black Role Models, 9 p.m. at the PNH Cafe. That is happening. Um, produced by me, hosted by Rich Douglas Jones and Jawa Horn. Uh, March 20th through the 23rd, I'm going to be at the Looney Bin and Little Rock emceeing uh, for some amazing nationally touring headliners. It's going to be amazing. God, so fucking amazing. Um, I think uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so amazing. <laughs> Honestly, amazing. I just found out today. So I'm still like, it's like, God, oh, geez. Um, uh, also uh, going to be going on tour in April, April 20th. Uh, we're doing the, um, it's probably going to be called the Inventors of Hot Coffee Tour, although I'm not either that or a notorious host troll. I can't, t- <laughs> I don't entirely sure which, but going on tour in April, probably April 20th. Uh, nothing to do with 420. It just kind of ended up that way. April 20th through probably the 30th. So look out for that. And uh, that's what it. Excellent. Me. Well, thank you guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And that is, that is everything. So uh, good, good, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Dr. Heckle is an OAM Network production, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and theoamnetwork.com. Recorded at the Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host was Mark Brimble. Guests were Jadea Driscoll, Laura Hamill, and Jackie Norrie. The show is produced by Mark Brimble and Gil Worth. Special thanks to Lauren Riggins and the Surf Memphis Podcast. Find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or if you have any questions, comments, or would like to get in touch about appearing on the show, our topic you like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com. The OAM Network.com. Power to the podcast.